Employment plays a large part of many of our lives. Whether we're in a dream job or just working to pay the bills, our employment status can affect our mental health, our relationships, our access to healthcare, our sense of identity and our quality of life. But for some groups, gaining employment or gaining good employment is not so simple. In 2013, a report by Action for Race Equality and Trust for London found that young black men have the highest unemployment rate of any group of young people in the UK. For the 12-month period ending June 2013, the unemployment rate for young black men was over 48%. That means out of all of the young black men in the UK who were available for work, almost half were unemployed. This compared with just under a quarter of young white men and around one third of young Asian men. These high levels of unemployment for black men are deeply concerning as long-term unemployment can have long-term effects on the trajectory of your career. 10 years later, we're still seeing signs of this disparity. The latest data from the Office for National Statistics show that as of November 2022, the unemployment rate for black men of any age is double that of their white counterparts. And when focusing on London, a city with such a dense population of black men, young black men have the highest unemployment rate of all young people, regardless of their qualification levels, and are up to three times more likely to be unemployed than young white male graduates. So despite there being a great pool of talent among young black men, employment outcomes are poor. Another important factor to consider is the type of employment black men are entering into when they do get employed. The latest research from the Office of National Statistics shows that black people were more likely to be employed in elementary jobs, the lowest skill type of occupation. Meanwhile, only 4.6% of black people were in managing director or senior official jobs compared to 10.7% of white people. This demonstrates clear occupational segregation, a term which captures how workers are distributed across certain occupations, industries or sectors based on demographics such as race, class or gender. For example, in my experience, you only have to go to London or any UK city to see an over-representation of black people in the retail, hospitality or security sector. To explore these issues and more further, I'm talking to the team at Action for Race Equality. Action for Race Equality is a charity on a mission to end racial inequality, working on issues such as education, employment and criminal justice. Action for Race Equality champions fairness, challenges discrimination, and pioneers innovative solutions to empower Black, Asian, and mixed heritage people. Their expertise in the employment space includes the 2013 report I previously mentioned, but also their Moving On Up initiative, which works with young Black men to help them gain meaningful employment, as well as partner organizations and businesses to help improve the employment landscape for Black men. So it is a pleasure to welcome Action for Race Equality's Chief Executive, Jeremy Crook, and Moving On Up's Project Support Officer, Victoria Atanda, to the podcast. But before we start, let's listen to a short clip about the work the Moving On Up program is doing to support young black men in London. My name is David Matuko. I was born in Zimbabwe and raised in London. My mum always told me, if I work hard, I can overcome any obstacle. 
I had huge hopes when I graduated with such a good degree, and I still do. My university tutor told me my CV could not be any better. However, it's hard to get replies from employers, let alone interviews. My white counterparts are getting the same roles I'm applying for with the same qualifications I have. I did think of changing my name, but I realized I shouldn't have to change my identity to be accepted. I'm surrounded by these buildings. This is where I should be. This is where I want to work. Today, I take a different approach. I want my CV to be seen. Putting myself out there on my own terms symbolizes the same work ethic that is shared by other black men. I want to be seen for who I am, what I've achieved, and who I can be. I do think there are other young black men like me that give up and lose hope on their dreams. And we all just need the opportunity and encouragement. There are hundreds of qualified young black men in every corner of London. I want to start this conversation by thanking you for your time. We appreciate here that you are very busy and you have um, quite a heavy schedule. So we really appreciate you taking the time out to um, speak to us today. It doesn't go unnoticed. So I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you. So I want to start the conversation by talking about your um, moving on up initiative. And I, I'd like to ask, how did that come about? It came about back in 2013 following a BBC Panorama documentary, which was looking at the, the very high unemployment rate for young black men in England, uh, which was over 50% in 2013. And uh, the, the footballer, Sol Campbell, was the main journalist for the programme. And we got involved in supporting the, the, the researchers. And we also partook in the uh, Panorama documentary. And um, what came out of that was uh, Job Centre Plus in London and one key funder in London approached Action for Race Equality and said, what can we do about it? And that led on to some action research in London. And we, we spoke to about 200 young black men across London, mostly in job centres, to find out what is their experience of trying to find a job? Why do they think unemployment rate is so high for young black men? And what could be done about it? And their recommendation was they need a targeted programme to help them get into good jobs in London. And that's how we embarked on this journey back in, I think, 2014, 2015, to try and address the issue. And is there anything that like seemed to repeatedly occur when it comes to the discussion with, I guess, black service users, well, black men who are using your service? Is there any well, yeah, like recurring issues that make it quite clear as to the reason as to why the... Um, like distinct rate is apparent, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's a range of issues and challenges that young black men face. In the first place, obviously, the systematic barriers that they face as young black men. 
And on top of that, there's discrimination. So I think as young black men in society, you're you're already discriminated on the basis of your colour. And throughout your whole life, you're still discriminated. So now when you come out of university and you're about to go for a job, you're still having that same discrimination that you face, maybe because of the colour of your skin, how your name sounds, the way you look. And that carries on all the way until you're in the office office space or trying to go for a job. So I think that's some of the issues that young black men face. I think other issues as well is that young black men themselves don't actually see themselves being in those spaces. You know, you can have a young black man living in, in East London and every day he takes the the bus or the tube near Canary Wharf and he sees companies like JP Morgan every single day, but doesn't actually visualise that one day I could be working there. And it's that disconnect that young black men have with actually working in those spaces. As well as that, I think there's a lot of a lack of network for young black men. Mm-hmm. One thing that we always discuss is that whether or not you're a young black man that just finished graduating from university or a young black man who just came from an apprenticeship, there isn't a lack of network for you to to go afterwards and ask, okay, what can I do next? You know, where can I go? How can I apply? How can I get into this particular sector or this particular job? So those are some of the range of issues that I think young black men that we've that we've talked to have, have faced. Yeah, no, I, I can acknowledge that for sure as someone who, who is half black and has friends who are black that have struggled to get into the sector, whether that's postgraduate or post-education. I think also an issue that I've found is that there's not a lot of representation in a lot of spaces. Yeah. But I think a lot of the really highly respected corporate roles, more than not at the top of the, um, I guess, hierarchy, if you want to call it that, or the sector are predominantly dominated by white white men, to be honest. But I did, I wish I could tell you the publication I saw it from, but it was, there was some research that came out, it was when I was at uni, so about three or four years ago, and the evidence was stating how black men who happen to be more highly educated compared to their white counterparts continue to have higher unemployment rates compared to their white counterparts, despite actually having like a full-on degree, you know? And uh, that kind of leads on to my next question. You've mentioned it briefly about how it can be post-apprenticeship, post-graduate. But can you see any distinct differences between Black men with like degrees, for example, compared to those who do not? Generally, the message is, whether you've got a degree or not, you will have a higher, higher unemployment rate compared to white young men. So whether mm-hmm. you're a graduate or non-graduate, you right. still have much higher levels. And at the moment, it's around 31% of young Black men with degrees are unemployed compared with 10% of white young men with degrees. So yes, you'd That's expect much. Yeah, it's, it's been uh-huh. there for a very long time and the gap isn't narrowing quickly. So as far as we're concerned and what we hear our you know, young black male graduates tell us is broadly what Victoria has just outlined in terms of those challenges. And, and very often actually when they do get interviewed or, or they do apply for a job and, and are not successful, they get very little feedback. So it's very hard to improve yourself and get and put things right that may need to be put right if you don't get any feedback. So that's a difficulty. But clearly, if you've got hundreds of people applying for jobs, practically it is quite difficult to get feedback. But if you've been interviewed, then it would be good if employers could find the time to feedback to black graduates, male and female, actually, what they maybe need to strengthen or look at going forward. Hopefully all of them, but especially where they're underrepresented in the company. If you generally want to increase the representation in your company, then you know go the extra mile and, and make sure you're encouraging and supportive of those uh, applicants. 
uh, hopefully employ them, but certainly you know, provide some useful feedback. And George, there's, there's still too many employers who are not actually monitoring these processes and, and looking at their ethnicity data in terms of application rates, uh, success and failure rates, and seeing what is actually happening to candidates that apply in terms of ethnicity and gender and disability and so on and so forth. So we'd like employers that purport to be inclusive and fair to actually collect some data to show what's happening with these processes. And then if you have those strategies put in place, do you believe there would be a more fairer like mannerism with regards to recruiting? Yeah, I think I think it would actually sort of incentivize employers to actually want to take action. Because if you look at what happened with the gender pay gap, the government yeah. made it mandatory for you to actually show that data that you're hiring women into your into your company. And so employers have no place to hide. You know, they have to publish that. And equally, if they were to publish that for how many people they recruit, you know, black people, just in general, that's all we even ask for is maybe just black people. They can mm-hmm. see, okay, you know, we're, we're not hiring maybe as much as we could. And they can see, okay, maybe we need to hire more. We need to do more. We need, we need to be better. Once they're actually able to see, well, how many black people did we actually hire this year? How many of that were young black men? Do you know what I mean? So that's what uh, I think... I think would be a good reason for employers to to do more ethnic monitoring. Yeah, and I guess it would be like an incentive, not incentive, but it would give them uh, some sort of initiative to yeah. Um, yeah. put the practices in place. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. Just to say one example that the government up until 2015 used to collect ethnicity data on individuals applying for apprenticeships online through the government vacancy system for apprenticeships. And what their data showed was 25% of the applications were from ethnic minority individuals, but only 10% of people starting apprenticeship in that year were from ethnic minority backgrounds. So there's a big disparity between the number applying and the number getting through to an apprenticeship. The issue there is clearly there's a, there's a massive gap there. But two, many of those employers used to say to people like me, ethnic minorities don't apply for these jobs or these apprenticeships. And clearly, when there was some monitoring through government, we were applying in very reasonable numbers. In fact, mm. that was higher than the population size, you could argue, which in, in terms of the workforce at that time was around 13% of the population were from ethnic minorities. So that it was almost double the applications in terms of the population profile. Yeah, so it doesn't really add up then, does it, as to why there's not a higher um, employment rate? No. <laughs> so, you know, just to say, I think we obviously look at race inequalities all of the time. We are working with young black men and other young people from black and brown backgrounds. We've been doing that for many years. For us, clearly, racism and discrimination and bias, whether it's conscious or unconscious, is still a major factor that explains the disparity from our point of view and obviously from research point of view. That is very difficult to get across to employers who may feel they're being fair and inclusive, but ultimately it's got to come down to data, hasn't it, and evidence. How can they demonstrate that they are being fair and, and equitable? And how can we kind of demonstrate they need to do more if the disparities persist and, and, and remain year in, year out in most of these large companies? Is there a reason as to why the government stopped monitoring the, um, on, the, on the apprenticeships? I'm not quite sure, George. Maybe because it's showing the disparity. Yeah, being caught out probably. Because this particular <laughs> government doesn't believe there is institutional racism or, or systemic racism in this society. So evidence like that, which I think does point to systemic problems, they probably didn't want to kind of keep uh, producing that kind of data. The government has produced a race disparity audit report and has race disparity data on the government's website. So you can look 
in terms of education attainment, the workforce, unemployment, and you can see the race disparities in this country, which is obviously, that's the first time in the world a government has done that. So that is a step in the right direction, but we need more nuanced data as well, like the apprenticeship data to really drill down and, and try and identify where the, where the problems are and where we need to do more as employers, but also as society generally. No, of course. Makes sense. So there are certain industries and sectors which have a higher intake of um, blackmail employment. So that generally being like retail, hospitality, security. Yeah. How do you broaden opportunities for black men in other industries and sectors, which may be a bit more qualified or corporate? I'll give a quick answer then. Maybe Victoria wants to kind of give her point. But we targeted in London construction finance and the, the tech digital sector okay. through, through our program, because we realized there was underrepresentation there of, of young black men and black people generally, but certainly young black men. And we were trying to connect with those companies in those sectors. And we worked closely with the mayor of London and, and their, their officials and, and try to get some real dialogue with those companies and look at their recruitment, look at where they go to try and recruit young black men and young black people. You know, certain colleges, certain universities in London have high proportions of, of young black men and black women, generally speaking. So it's not rocket science to, to know where to go and to kind of uh, try and connect with those pipelines and make sure that those pipelines are open and fluid. So we've always been about trying to get our young black men in London into good employment. And good employment means jobs with prospects, paying at least the London living wage so they can actually survive on those salaries. And hopefully with, with training, hopefully with graduate opportunities or apprenticeship opportunities. So we're not interested in zero hour contracts. We're not interested in low paying, low entry jobs, essentially. Unfortunately, in the first phase of this program, we were only seeing mostly jobs being offered to young black men that were low pay, low entry, retail security, even if they had degrees. So for me, that does point to a structural issue of discrimination and, 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 and low expectation of our young men and women, especially those with, with graduate qualifications as well. So you're right to ask about these sectors because they still do have low representation of, of young black men and, and black people generally. And we are trying to obviously target our efforts at those sectors in particular. There is a bigger question, which is probably not for today, but if you look at construction, we have also so few black owned construction companies in London and in the UK. So we're not even offering jobs for our own community in sectors where there's a lot of expenditure and activity and work and, and wealth, we are minimal in terms of our economic base in some key sectors, which doesn't help creating opportunities within our own yeah. communities. I was also going to add and echo what Jeremy was talking about in terms of the quality employment. You know, that is something that we strive for for every young black man. But I think it's also worth noticing that with the cost of living crisis, it makes it extra difficult when young black men do want to pursue quality jobs. But because of the things like cost of living crisis, they have to just take whatever job is on offer because, you know, mm -hmm. because of barriers and the extra, extra things that they go through, they can't just say, oh, I'm going to wait for that quality job sometimes. They, they just can't afford to do that. And I think, again, it just shows how difficult it can be where you have a young black man who's a graduate who has all the skills and all the things that he needs to, to pursue that quality job. But because of the barriers and the challenges that he faces, he just feels like, okay, you know what, forget that quality job. I just want any job. I'll just do anything, which which is very sad. Yeah. I think it's quite disheartening. And like you said, I think the current climate is making it very difficult for a lot of people to, I guess, reach their full potential more than anything yeah. else, you know? Yeah. 
Have you noticed any changes in the employment climate for black men within the last 10 years since the program started? Have there been like any like new challenges or challenges which have like stayed consistent throughout? I think the cha- the, the challenges has remained pretty constant. Obviously, mm-hmm. unemployment levels are not 55% as they were in 2013-14, but they still are very high for yeah. young black men. So that is still the core issue and the core problem. The Moving On Up initiative is a positive action initiative in, in essence. We're obviously targeting one ethnic group and one uh, gender group as well, i.e. young black men. And the reason why we chose them as well is because because they face the most negative stereotypes in society as young men, i.e. aggressive, gangs, drugs, all of those things, we know that many people, and, and including employers, have negative perceptions of young black men, whether consciously or unconsciously, because that's what they get fed a lot of the time through the media and what they see. Of course, we've had the tragic death of a girl in Croydon this week. I don't know what what color the perpetrator is, but it's a child as well. It's 17 years old. And I'm sure many people are assuming that's a young black male who the perpetrator is. It may not be, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's what the perception is amongst many people in the media and in society will be. And obviously, we do know in London that many of the people who are losing their lives, the children losing their lives, are from African Caribbean heritage backgrounds. So all of these things just feed into that narrative around the negative perception of young black men and black boys, and it feeds into low expectations. It feeds into, would I really want to employ a young black male in my company? Will he be prone to doing this or that or the other? So these are the real, let's get real about it. These are the real challenges that I think we are facing in society and in, and in the workplace. And that's what we're trying to grapple with. And that's why we, you know, employers say, oh, we, we'd like to recruit more young black men, but we don't know what to do about it. We don't know where to start. And then we, we go away with the mayor of London and produce, produce a toolkit to help those employers work through step by step what they should do to increase their recruitment of young black men. So the toolkit was published in 2020. And we still see very low take up of employers using that toolkit in London, despite the fact 45 employers helped inform the toolkit itself. So I think whilst there's some good employers out there, I think employers do look for excuses and more excuses why they are not taking action. And the action is just improve your recruitment, target where you try and advertise jobs and your connections, your networks. You know, young black men in London represent. 21% of young men. That's one in five. They are a significant proportion of young men in London. They're not a tiny 5%. They are 21% of young men in London are from black backgrounds. So that, for me, is substantial. They're not hard to find, don't you think? So we are getting a bit kind of weary about excuses employers keep putting up why they can't improve their recruitment of young black men. Yes, there are some issues in terms of education attainment for some groups of young men and boys in our community. Attainment at GCSE level is still quite low for Black Caribbean boys in this country. In terms of maths and English, GCSEs, it's in the low 30s in terms of attainment levels for Black Caribbean boys. It's much better for Black African boys and Black girls, but it is still low for Caribbean boys. So there are some structural problems that we have to face in education. But that's not the core issue. The core issue is even when we get the degrees, we're still not getting the parity of outcomes or equity in that context. And I think an issue also is the narrative. That's well, I mean, the ongoing narrative, which has been like made since the beginning of time, to be honest. I think, I guess it's kind of linked to like the self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. 
because these barriers are so concrete, the ceiling's very hard to break through. I feel like from things that I've witnessed and conversations I've had with other young black men trying to break into these spaces, it seems like it reaches a point where like they, they've made several attempts to try and break into the sector. That it's reached a point that a lot of them actually give up, to be honest, because there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. And a lot of them, not, a lot probably isn't the right term, but like a fair amount project into the behavior, which is mm. presumed on them because their, their mentality is, well, you already have this take on me anyway. So like, there's no way of switching it. So I may as well engage or incorporate into what mm. you already believe I am or what I'm going to do. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's um, you know, we we speak to young men who who've, who have done well. They've they've broken into some of these big companies, but they are the only young black man in that company, and that is a big burden responsibility because everyone looks to them to kind of expect they're going to be this perfect young black male who's super super intelligent, super successful, and they just want to be themselves, of course, and just work hard Tokenism and get on as well. Yeah, so it's. It's even getting in the job and then trying to progress is, is a challenge, I think, for many of our young men. And it, and it becomes a burden and it becomes quite stressful because that expectation and that focus is really difficult. We spoke to some one or two young black men during the Black Lives Matter protest and George Floyd's murder. And they were in meetings and they were the only black person in the room in the company. And everyone was talking about George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, but they didn't really value and, 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 and listen to that one young black male in terms of what their lived experience is. But they talked about the issues about race. And that was quite uncomfortable as well for that one black person in that room to deal with. Because the, we talk mm -hmm. about young people, it's difficult if you're an older person like me. But when you're the only young black person in the company in, in, a, in, a, in a big meeting, and they're talking about racism towards black people and, and people of African heritage, that is really difficult to, to cope with and deal with. And I know one or two literally had to walk out the room because they they couldn't bear to be in the room any longer. So race and colorism and bias and lack of understanding and ignorance uh, is really difficult on a day-to-day -day basis to deal with in the workplace still in, in this country. I mean, and even in the, one of the greatest cities in the world, London, it's not easy. So we've definitely got a long way to go. And unfortunately, what we still find is that despite what I've just said, employers do not feel comfortable talking about race and ethnicity. And that is still a real challenge. They can talk in the friendly environments that we create very often, but when they go back to their companies, it's not a straightforward conversation because some people do not want to listen. They don't want to talk about race. They don't feel comfortable talking about race. And therefore, it's just not spoken about in a direct way. And I think that is still a big challenge for companies who, if they genuinely want to be inclusive, they've got to be able to talk about gender and race and disability and mental health and transgender issues. They've got to be confident about talking about all of these issues if they truly want to be inclusive in a, in a global city like London. It seems to me essential that we can embrace these issues, make people feel comfortable. You know, we hear, we hear a lot of companies saying, you know, we want you to bring your whole self to work. Well, yeah, that, that is really good aspiration. But do they really make that a reality for everyone? I, I don't think that many do at the moment. Yeah. And, and just to add on to what Jeremy was saying there, I feel like sometimes employers, well, most of the time, employers do not want to talk about race and, and, unless they have to, unless they're being forced to. I think when we saw the death of George Floyd and the rise of Black Lives Matter, it felt like everyone was talking about race because they had to. And it's it's very disheartening where it, where it feels like 
something that big has to happen for there to be some action, even even if it's in the in in the name of tokenism, for some action to happen. And I remember there was a conversation I had with with another individual, and they were talking about how the gender pay gap has gotten a lot of um, traction from the government because the employers are are in charge. It's their wives and it's their children that are women that are trying to go into the sectors. However, you know, because it's young black men, it feels like they don't have any, um, you know, they don't have any similarities. You know, why why should they care about some young black men? You know, and I think that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the issues as well. It's kind of annoying though in that sense, because I saw this thing. It was it was regarding some issue with women. I wish I could tell you what, what it was specifically. But um I get what you're saying about the relatability and how like there, there's no there's no one to relate to, therefore it's not an effect. But then with regards to women as well, it's annoying in this this is kind of like off topic, but it's kind of annoying in a sense how like it has to be like, oh, this could be my daughter or wife for it to even be considered. It's like, well, no, it's an individual who's marginalized. Who's misrepresented? Surely that's enough to like focus on the gap, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. That's another issue for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, what can employers do to create a more inclusive environment for like black employees? Well, you know, London is now forty-six percent ethnic minority and forty percent black, Asian, and mixed heritage population. Forty percent in terms of black and brown people, essentially. So we think it's reasonable for any company in London to aspire to reflect London's population. And of course, let's put gender as an obvious that part of the population is women. So that should always be the case in your company, as far as I'm concerned, at, at all levels. So we'd mm-hmm. like companies to kind of embrace that percentage and set some targets to reflect London over a reasonable time frame. Now, some companies are very low, so it's not going to happen overnight. But we've spoken to companies like Victoria mentioned, and we, we, we've met with them and say, well, do you, do you have a target for recruitment in terms of ethnicity? They say, yes. They say, oh, what's the target? Oh, it's 13%. Oh, okay. That's the national ethnic minority population profile. Yes. So London is 46% ethnic minority. What about that target? And they don't want to kind of really engage or go down that kind of route because they know probably management will not agree to a target in London of 46% ethnic minority at the current time. So mm. we are there to respectfully encourage those employers to look at that statistic and what kind of targets they do set, where they set them. But clearly, George, there's interesting surveys. If you look at surveys done by the business and the community and their race at work charter, only at the moment around 20% of companies that respond to their survey who are signed up to the race at work charter are reporting ethnicity pay gap, for example. Now, as, as, Victoria, as Victoria said, it's not mandatory, but only 20% do report ethnicity pay gap through their companies, which is, you know, still a quite a low number. The surveys also show very different responses very often from black and brown staff in terms of their access to progression, the support they get, and so on and so forth. So in terms of inclusive cultures, doing surveys of your company and finding out what the attitudes actually are of your staff is really helpful and really important. But you've got to act upon the data, haven't you? Where there's clear issues and disparities for, for your black and brown staff, you need to address that with your black and brown staff and with your, the leaders of that company. So we are now increasingly targeting our messages at chief executives because we've targeted our, our work at HR directors and recruiters, but we don't think we're getting enough traction and, 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 and proactivity and positive action from that approach. So we will be publishing positive action guidance for our chief executives in London 
in the coming month in London and trying to get the government to do more in that space as well, because we haven't got all the answers, but we've tried quite a few approaches over the last 10 years around young black men, including using the behavioral insights team and sending thousands of messages through email to companies in London from the mayor of London, from a young black male, encouraging them to use the toolkit I mentioned earlier, which is on the mayor's website and our own website. But the take up of that toolkit through all of that work has been very, very low. We've just launched a major kind of campaign on LinkedIn to promote the Moving On Up initiative to highlight the issue of young black male unemployment in London. And again, trying to encourage employers to come to our website this time and and download the toolkit. But we believe 180,000 HR people have looked at that film, which is two minutes on LinkedIn, and only about 100 individuals have come to our website and, and downloaded the toolkit so far. So it just gives you a sense of the challenge that we think we face trying to get companies to use the resources that are there for them. And it's not just our toolkit. Obviously, there's lots of help on websites for companies on recruitment around race equality, whether it's you know the Equality and Rights Commission, ACAS, the CBI, Business in the Community. They all have toolkits. And we need to see companies using the practical help available. And obviously, there's loads of consultants out there race equality experts who can help companies. Our charity helps companies. We can do a bit of that for free, but there's no shortage of what to do anymore or help. So I, I'm, I'm increasingly saying to employers, it's not a question of you're not sure what to do because the help is there online and face-to-face. You've just got to do something practically and start to make it some positive action, some positive steps in the right direction in terms of your recruitment approach and the outcomes that you are delivering. And that's what we, we will continue to do. And what's the response that you generally get when you, when you have this conversation with employers about like the criticism about what, what action needs to be put in place? You know, I was, I was speaking at a conference on Monday at um, Macquarie. The GLA, you know, the Greater London Authority, hosted a, a, an event around race equality for employers to look at the issue of race equality. I was one of the speakers talking about young black men and what we've been doing. And when you look around the room, George, it's, and there were probably about 40 or 50 people there. It's very mm-hmm. often people that are on the same page as us already. They already get what we're trying to do. Okay. They're not the people going back, generally speaking, who are going to look at their recruitment processes. They are from public authorities. There were some companies there, but I have not really had much response from that event from companies that were there. One or two I reached out to to say, we're, we're here, we're happy to help because they said some very positive things about what they were doing at the event. But they're, relatively speaking, there were a small number of employers there. This is despite this being a, a GLA event in a private company. And this is the typical scenario that we find in much of our work. We don't see many white males there. We don't see many chief executives in these meetings. And that's why we think they need to be encouraged to come out and take responsibility as leaders for their biggest asset, which is people, and within that, young people, and within that, young black men and, and, and women. So we have to keep trying to reach chief executives, which is why I do things like this, which are really important, is to try and get that message out there. Show proper leadership on inclusion and recruitment. Don't just talk about it once a year. It's an everyday responsibility. And to be honest, I think with the increasing, increasingly high rate of people of colour integrating into London, which to be honest, I think is going to get even bigger over the next decade, I think mixed race people are like the highest growing 
um, racial group in the country, yeah. I believe. And uh, yeah. to be honest, that's because interracial relations are becoming more popular, that's only going to increase. I can imagine the percentage in London being a lot higher in the next 10 years. But hopefully it will reach a point where people go to these uh, organizations and meetings and then the further action put in place after yeah. it will be unavoidable, to be honest, whether, whether they want to or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I think you make a good point. I mean, when, when, when I talk about 21% of young black men in London being that size of the population, we also talk about young black and mixed heritage men in that proportion. So we, def- we definitely include mixed heritage as part of the young black male population we are talking about. But I think it's really important, isn't it, with ethnicity to look at specific groups, to look at mixed heritage, to look at African and Caribbean, and obviously the breakdown of South Asian and Southeast Asian communities, because we all know there's a cholera issue as well in, in, in society with the lightest at the top and, 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 and going down to darker complexions as well. Mm. So the, Colorism is massive. Hopefully yeah. we're addressing that, but it, you need to be mindful of that in, your, in, in society generally, but to, certainly in recruitment, that you're not just picking what you think are the acceptable black people or the acceptable complexions. So we're very mindful of that, but there's only so much you can talk about with an employer <laughs> straight away. So no, let, let's try and engage at the right levels. But we, we have a very deep understanding of uh, racism over the centuries and where we are today. And within, within our own cultures, there are issues there, of course, around colorism in some cultures and some ethnic groups. So it is a, a global problem. And we're very mindful of that and the way we want to you know, engage young people and children in that conversation, as well as obviously people who make decisions about equality and race equality in particular. I just want to go back to the idea of setting targets. A lot of people might criticise the idea of targets as they often get wrongly compared to quotas. Can you explain the difference between the two and what introducing targets would look like? Quotas are unlawful in this country. Okay, We, we do not have affirmative action in the UK. We do have positive action where you can set a target for your workforce and work towards trying to achieve that target. There are some specific measures around positive action that you can do in terms of pre-employment activities training programs for underrepresented groups, internships, all of those things you can do. You can recruit under Section 159 of the Equality Act, where you've got equally qualified candidates and you've got underrepresentation. So if you had three people and they were all equally qualified and one of them was a, a black male or black woman or, or an Asian woman or an Asian male, and you had very low representation in that grade in your company or that level, you could recruit that person based on their protected characteristic, which is ethnicity or religion, you could recruit that person. Employers are very reluctant to use positive action, and we are trying to change that mindset and encourage them to use the act better. I think there is an issue because we all want to be successful on our merits, don't we? We want to be recruited on our hard work, our qualifications, our personalities, but we are not in a meritocracy yet. So we need to use the Equality Act and the positive action to try and make the the playing field level as far as we can. Some black and brown folks think, well, I don't need positive action. I've got where I've got to on my own merit. That may well be true. But when you stand back and look at, as we have the data today, there are many people not getting employment opportunities on their merit. They are being discriminated against. So we think good quality positive action can make a difference, has made a difference. When it's not good quality and it's not resourced properly, it's not helpful. But it definitely can help in leadership programs and targets. And we do want targets to be set because companies set targets in all kinds of ways, don't they? In terms of profitability, sales. Mm -hmm. Why can't they do that for the workforce? 
there seems to be a mental block when it comes to race and targets with employers. I'm not quite sure why, except that race is still a very, very problematic issue in the 21st century in this country and obviously across the globe. So we just need to keep talking about it. We can only make arguments and say to employers, you can use these levers. They are there. If you do use them, evaluate them and see if they actually make a difference. If they're not making a difference, they obviously need improving or they need to be changed. So we are open. As I said, Jordan, we haven't got all the answers, but we've got a lot of track record in this country of using positive action in some areas, but it's not widespread. And I think making it widespread, particularly young people, is really important. The good news is a number of companies do have black and brown networks, staff networks. Some of those have got senior people in. So those companies should be listening to those black and brown staff in terms of what's going right and what's going wrong in those companies and then taking the appropriate action. I would also add that, you know, it's a good way to get companies to actually take a first step. As Jeremy outlined, a lot of employers don't even want to take that first step. They don't even want to download and even look at the the toolkit. So it's just a way to get them to just to just take some action. And as Jeremy said, then we can, you know, level the playing field and then, you know, we can talk about, okay, what else can be done? With regards, I guess, to the the UK's employment landscape, if you will, what would you say is your vision for it? And like what like as a country, what steps do we need to take to like get to that place? Well, we would be in the right place when we can see reasonably most organizations reflecting the population where they're based. That would be for me the test. So whether it's Birmingham, London, Manchester, Leeds, Cardiff, Glasgow, you know, look at the population where you're located as a company. Obviously, we're in a global city in London, so recruitment can be global and is global. So talent comes from all over the world to this city. We're just keen that British black and brown people are getting opportunities to the same degree as foreign nationals who come here with with their talent. We've got homegrown talent that we want to see utilized properly. So that for me would be the test. I don't think the equality legislation is 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 effective enough, quite frankly. And we would like to see that, you know, the government look at that legislation and make it more robust. But we are where we are and there is legislation. So I do not want to see it scrapped for sure. I want to see it strengthened. So and particularly obviously as that relates to public organizations where we think they could do a lot more on inclusivity and tackling institutional disparities and in service delivery and in their workforces. So that's a whole big conversation, but you know, we would like to see better legislation. We weren't supportive of getting rid of the Race Relations Amendment Act after the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, which was introduced by a Labour government. We think that was a step backwards and we'd like to see uh, you know, something specific around race reintroduced going forward. To end this conversation, if there happens to be a black man or a man of colour even who is tuning in and they're either struggling to find employment or struggling to like find a sense of belonging at the base of work, yeah, what would you advise? I think it's important for a young black man looking for employment not, not to beat yourself up. You know, there's lots of things going on at the moment, cost of living crisis. And then on top of that, there's challenges and barriers that you're facing that's actually not your fault at all. It's just systematic. But it's it's not something that I think you should beat yourself up. I think you should make use of the opportunities that you have around you. So even with TikTok, some of the young black men I've spoken to, you know, they said, well, I went on TikTok and I found someone that's going into the sector that I wanted to go to. And I just talked to him and he became my mentor. 
So even things like using um, social media, even um, speaking to those people in your communities, you know, positive role models that you see around you and asking them, well, how, wh- how, what was your employment journey? How did you break in? How did you do this? And even um, local organizations that you see helping young black people, you know, these are organizations that you can go to. For me, myself, even though I'm a young black woman, I'm still able to use some of the local organizations and partners that we work with for help, you know, when it comes to seeking help. I'm able to, you know, see some of their workshops that they post on the bulletin and say, okay, I'm just going to go, go inside and, and, and check it out. And, you know, as a young person looking for employment, you have to sort of be proactive, but in a way that that's meaningful. That's what I would say. Yeah. Totally agree. And don't forget, we, we do, as taxpayers, pay the government through Job Centre Plus to help people into work. I know there's a stigma with job centres for some young people and particularly young black men, but there are people there that can help and want to help. Go there and see if you can get some help. If you can't, then all the things that Victoria just said are really important. There's lots, there's not, not lots, but there are black-led charities out there that are helping, doing all the things Victoria helped mention with employability, with mentors, with coaching. And hopefully you will find support, especially if you're in London, from one of those organizations or several of those organizations. Obviously, you can, you, they can contact MOU and we'll try and signpost to networks. 10,000 Black Interns is a great initiative, obviously helping lots of young Black men and women. There are other initiatives. There's obviously, it's MOU trying to do that in Brenton Newham at the moment. And we, we, we have contact with lots of organizations, so we, we can definitely try and signpost and, and be helpful. But do use the job centers. <laughs> you know, We are paying for this service and make use of it. And especially if you're eligible to claim benefits, claim them and, and get the help as well. I just want to say to finish this off, thank you very much. Everyone here at Lives of Colour, we really appreciate the work you're doing as a black man who is um, very conscious and aware of the systemic and I guess personal yeah, issues which we encounter on the daily. It's really amazing to see the work, the work that you're doing so it doesn't go unnoticed and we really appreciate it. So yeah, thank you very much. Thank, oh, thank you. you. And thanks for having us. It was a pleasure hearing Jeremy and Victoria's perspective on the employment experiences of black men. I was particularly interested in their work with businesses and how they encourage employers to set targets that would improve employment outcomes for young black men in London. It was really important to note the distinction between targets and quotas and the team's words of wisdom for young black men seeking employment is something we should all definitely take away with us. While it is clear that a lot has to be done to encourage all UK employers to prioritise equality, diversity, inclusion and belonging, organisations such as Action for Race Equality are doing a lot of great work to move the needle forward. Having spoken to the team and heard about their efforts, I look forward to a future where systemic issues and racial bias play no part in the employment landscape. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mangrove. To make sure you don't miss out, follow or subscribe to Mangrove wherever you are listening. And if you can, please share, leave a rating and a review as it helps people find us. Mangrove is brought to you by Lives of Colour. It's hosted by George Halewood and produced by Tyra at Foss Creative Studio.